You may know you're listening to this show along the Marketing Podcast Network, but did you know there are other great shows on MPN to help your business? Christy Heiler hosts a fantastic podcast called Own It. Christy, tell us more about the show. Own It is all about celebrating women and non-binary advertising agency owners. We talk about buying out of the Boys Club of Advertising because less than 1% of ad agencies are owned by women. And where can people subscribe? You can find the podcast at untilyouownit.com. We're also on the Marketing Podcast Network at marketingpodcast.net. And of course, you can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. You heard her. Go subscribe. Welcome to the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast with your hosts, Jamie Lieberman and Danielle Liss. Each week, we will help you unlock the secrets of influencer marketing through interviews with leading professionals and tips and tricks to help you scale your business. Sit back, grab a coffee, and let's talk all things influencer marketing. Hey there, this is Danielle, and this is episode 64 of the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. Now, if you are a regular listener, you probably noticed that you didn't hear Jamie, you know, pop in and say, and Jamie, well, just like last week when Dr. Producer Dawn subbed for me because I was sick, we have someone subbing for Jamie because she is actually, it's much better than being sick because she was at Disney World over the weekend. So she is in transit while we are recording our normal intro outro time. So we thought it would be fun to have our guest come on and do a little banter with me because she is someone I have met personally and she's pretty darn awesome. I want to introduce everybody to Melina Palmer from The Brainy Business. She has the cutest logo ever because she's just holding a big purple brain. Melina and I met at Biz Chicks Live and we started bonding because number one, the dress that she was wearing, the skirt was super pretty. So I was like, ooh, shiny. Let me talk to you about that. And then number two, we began talking about what is clearly one of our mutual favorite topics, and that is Harry Potter. So I would like to introduce everybody to Melina. Hello. Thanks for having me. And thanks all the the recollections of good things I forgot about my <laughs> sparkly skirt. It was a really great skirt. I should put a picture in the show notes, except oh, that might be weird. I don't I get know. Well, and then the question is, so d- did you actually take a picture of the dress slash skirt? Do you have that? I'm not going to admit it if I do. <laughs> well, that's okay. It was potentially, it was to remember the name tag and who I was. A lot of people were doing that. I'm sure that's why, if you have it. Go with that. Go with that. That's good. So <laughs> let's talk a little bit because normally before any episode that we do, we do what Jamie and I refer to as our banter. So we thought we'd ease you in because today's episode is on such a cool topic. And me being me, I have 7,000 questions about it because it is so awesome. So we'll ease everybody in. And this is kind of a nerdy topic because it's behavioral economics. So we're going to ease you into the nerdiness with Harry Potter. So I want you to tell everybody what you told me about the awesome places you've been for Harry Potter. So I love Harry Potter, as we know. When you were talking about Disney World, that was where I had thought, eh, Disney, but that's where Harry Potter World is. That's the (laughs) Wizarding World. (laughs) So my husband and I went there last year, sans kids, literally just because I wanted to go to Harry Potter World. And we were able to go check everything out. And it's 
amazing. I know you went to the one in California, which I've heard is maybe not quite as robustly awesome, but we were just in London a couple weeks ago. And now I guess it's been about six weeks and we did the Warner brothers studio tour where you can go to actually all of the sets and they have everything. And it's so beyond amazing of everything that you think where it's a, it's just a set. So they must tear it right back down and they only put what they have to, but like Dumbledore's office, they have built in all three sections, its entire space and stuff you never see in the movies is all created and exists there. It's just all the props. It's just fantastic. It's amazing. Oh, I'm sorry for that pause. I'm just researching flights to London. Um, so <laughs> I mean, it's just I'm going to have to make that happen. I always said that my ultimate book nerd like trip will be when I get to go to Prince Edward Island because I'm also obsessed with Anne of Green Gables. But clearly, London may need to kind of balance that out. And okay, so I did go when I was in California. It was actually the same conference that I had met you at when I was there for Bitch Chicks Live. And I did love it, except it was very, very hot when I was there. It was Mm. like a blazing warm weekend. And I'm not a big rides person. So I really just kind of walked around a lot. Shocking to no one. My favorite spot was Honey Dukes. What Mm. would you list as your favorite kind of area that you went to? Um, in the Wizarding World in Orlando, I think the they have the full tower, you know, Hogwarts kind of built in and you're able to walk through the school quite a bit. And that was really amazing. I liked that a lot. And I would say the actually the Gryffindor common room set was really amazing and Dumbledore's office in Oh, and they do the, they have the Forbidden Forest and they actually have the Acromantula there and they have Buckbeak. You know, Buckbeak is not all CGI. He's like a legit thing. He's huge and he exists. And so does Fox. It's amazing. I, I could go on. <laughs> I'm a total Is this, nerd wait, is this the one in London or Orlando? That's London. Yeah. Okay. I'm just making sure, again, just for my own personal travel plans, I think it's important that I need to know where everything is. And I love, Buckbeak was like one of my favorites. So I totally want to go and meet the giant, very scary hippogriff. That would be cool. I, I will have to send you a photo. <gasps> we have pictures of like me and my husband have a photo with Buckbeak. And like I said, there's a, you know, me with the scared face with the acromantula and they have Dobby, which, oh, I love Dobby and just they have Hagrid's hut and they have the potions classroom and they actually hand labeled all the bottles that are in there and they have the full size. It's uh, the set. They actually used the model of Hogwarts from the outside. It's this huge model. It's just beautiful and amazing. So definitely you should go and you could be super extra nerd like me and also go and see the play of Harry Potter and the Cursed Child parts one and two while you're there. It's like eight <gasps> hours of of play. So my husband's a trooper. <laughs> yeah, he is. And this sounds like the best trip I will ever take me on. So I'm going to I'm going to stop because my head's number one going to explode from all the cool things that I can do. But other people are probably like, oh, my gosh, Danielle, stop with your nerdiness. <laughs> and I get that. Uh. It's OK. But since you're already chatting with me, I'm going to be honest, it feels kind kind of weird to read your bio to everybody. It's just like, oh, wait, now that we're talking, I'm going to talk about you in the third person. (laughs) Um, So can you just tell us a little bit about yourself instead of the more formal bio? Yes. Let me tell you, Melina Palmer is... So um, my background is in marketing and branding. That's, you know, I got my undergraduate in 
marketing and I worked in branding for a financial institution for quite some time before going off on my own and was always just really interested in the psychology behind buying behavior, why people do what they do, buy the things they buy, and why things like focus groups don't give us accurate information. And if somebody says they're going to buy something and then they don't, why all of that happens. And so I found the field of behavioral economics, which is very new still, and uh, started my master's in that, which I actually, I am finishing my last class like this week, which is very amazing and exciting. So anyway, master's in behavioral economics to help businesses to understand how the brain actually works and how that impacts buying behavior and how you can message appropriately to that, which I do through my podcast and consulting. Okay. So even though we met, obviously talking about Harry Potter and me gazing at your skirt, I learned more about your business when we were talking at a podcaster meetup the next day. And so when you said that you had a podcast on this topic, I was like, oh, this sounds cool. Cause it, it almost reminded me of that one book, um, Freakonomics, like not necessarily mm-hmm. exactly the same, but kind of along that line for me and probably a lot of people who aren't as familiar with the term, it's the science of why people buy stuff. So can you give us kind of a behavioral economics 101 overview? Yes. So essentially, the problem with traditional economics is that it builds its models on the assumption that people are logical and they make rational choices. And unfortunately, that's not the world that we live in. So you have a lot of models that don't accurately predict behavior for humans in the world that we live in. And so over time, economists and psychologists either started working together or entering into one another's fields to try and find if there was this common thread in the concepts of the way that people act to be able to predict these sort of rules of thumb that the brain uses to make decisions. And so what has been found over many years of research is that the brain, while we humans are not logical, we are very predictable and that any business can use that to their benefit. And so I found this gap that really this very academic field didn't have a lot of application for businesses. And that's what I do with the brainy business. So is understanding behavioral economics different than selling or being good at selling? I would say they're very intertwined, but they are different. So you can use, it's sort of like if A, then B, you know, and (laughs) all A's or B's, I was sort of thinking about how to explain this. So behavioral economics is the way that the brain works and makes decisions. And that is very important to any business because whether you know these things exist or not, they're impacting your business every day. And so little things that you might do in the words that you choose in the images that you use, everything in between all over and things that happen before somebody gets to your website, even all these different things can impact someone's willingness to buy and whether they're ready to buy or not. It definitely weighs in on selling, but it's also any sort of communication, the way that we have conversations. And if you find a lot of people are more harsh (laughs) or, or you have difficult conversations with people, there might be just, you know, one word or one thing that you're doing or saying that could be impacting that. Understanding, again, the way that the brain makes a decision and acts is subconscious. 99% of 
decisions are actually made on a subconscious level. That's so interesting. Okay, I'm not going to get into some of my shopping stories, but you just made me get a little introspective. So, but I won't <laughs> go down that rabbit hole. Um, so our audience is made up primarily of influencers and a lot of entrepreneurs. Why do you think that this particular field is something that they should be thinking about in their business? Well, really, I've already said it, which is that whether you know it or not, this impacts your business every single day. And while we all have brains, we really don't know how they work. Being able to understand what can make a big difference. I think we might get to this topic a little bit later, but in there's a study that a change in one word made a 38% difference in sales. So if you tested the same advertisement in two different locations, one word difference, 38% increase in sales. And that's because of one of these rules of thumbs, these concepts. So understanding it can really, really make a difference. And something that you thought was going to work and it didn't and you want to know why or something that really worked and you have no idea why, (laughs) this can help to uncover some of those hidden gems. That's really awesome. So when I was prepping for the interview, I was looking over your website, not being a creeper at all. And so for those who don't know, it's the link is thebrainybusiness.com. And we're going to put that in the show notes, of course. And while I was on there, I saw that you have a freebie that's called 10 Behavior economics concepts you need to know. And I was just like, "Ooh, I want to see what that is. So I downloaded immediately. And I know we don't have enough time to go through all of the concepts that you've kind of referenced. So I just I picked my personal favorites. Um, So can you tell us a little bit more about what loss aversion means? So loss aversion is essentially that we as humans are more likely to be impacted by the fear of a loss than by a potential gain. And what has happened in our world is that we've really developed this gain-riddled society. So if you think about small children, anything that you see little kids do, so if you have them in your house or whatever happens to be, that can really show the way your subconscious makes choices. So if you have Like, for example, my son might be playing with toys in the playroom. There are way too many for him to actually play with. His little sister comes up, grabs one off of the periphery that he wasn't even playing with. And now that's his favorite toy in the whole world. And he can't imagine his life without it, even though it's a My Little Pony or something. And it's actually hers. And it's this loss aversion piece. And so studies have shown that actually it takes twice as much benefit from a gain to equal the pain that's felt by a loss. So what that would mean is losing $20 hurts the same as needing to find 40 essentially to, to balance that out. And so Using losses is a really valuable way that you can get people to be driving their behavior and purchase items, but it doesn't have to be negative, which is something that I talk about a lot. You know, a really great example of this is an overnight test drive. If you've ever done that with a car where they let you take it home and you get to see how it fits in the garage and maybe they gave you a gift card so you could take the kids out to dinner and see how the car seats fit and all these things. And you thought it was so nice, but really it's because your brain has now claimed over ownership over this vehicle and now everything else looks terrible. Your old car is awful and you can't live without it because your brain now is very loss averse and wants to keep that item. But you don't feel like it was a negative experience with the car dealership. You feel it was actually very nice of them to let you take it away because you could have crashed it. They don't know. You don't owe them anything, right? So it's a win-win, really. That makes a lot of sense. And one thing that I like is how you talk about how describing the loss doesn't necessarily have to be 
a negative. And I think that's important because I always say that when we talk about marketing legal services, we don't like to scare people. And so I hate that idea that people are trying to scare through loss aversion. So can you give us an example of how someone might use a better understanding of loss aversion in their online business? So I have a really good example for this. In a world of coaching, your job is to get people on board with change and to actually execute on the things they said they're going to do, which is really hard in many cases. And we have this optimism bias where we tend to think we can get everything done. I'm definitely somebody that will make myself a list of, you know, these are the eight or 12 things I'm going to get done today, whereas in reality, it I'm only going to get through one or two. And so you might have a weekly call and you tell somebody, okay, let me know what it is that you're going to get done this week and we'll check back in next week and see that you did it. And probably more often than not, you have the next call and they say, oh, this thing came up, this happened, whatever. So they didn't get anything done. What you can do is if you were to say, you know, have a a shelf maybe behind you if you do your calls via video where someone can see all these jars and you can say, hey, everybody that I work with gets a jar on the shelf. And so this is the Danielle jar. And every week that you do what you say you're going to do, I'm going to put $20 in the jar. And at the end of the year, whatever's left, you get to keep. But if you ever miss even just one time, I'm going to empty the entire thing out and you have to start from zero. Nothing would ever motivate me more than that. So you just figured out the key to my psyche and how every single person should work with me. That's we should just end here because that's all I need from this. Anyway, okay. So (laughs) let's talk about another concept, though, just in case that's not it for everybody. One that I thought sounded really cool was anchoring and adjustment. Tell us more what that means. So anchoring and adjustment is the one that had the 38% increase in sales from changing one word. In this case, it was two grocery store end cap displays. They were for Snickers. So one says Snickers bars, buy them for your freezer. And the other says Snickers bars, buy 18 for your freezer. That's a lot of candy bars. Right. Maybe if you're buying for a lacrosse team or I guess Quidditch, right? Even for Quidditch, it might be a few too many. But so most people aren't buying 18 and exactly that result. So if you're walking through the store and this them, you know, Snickers bars buy them for your freezer, your subconscious isn't necessarily going to even pick up on that. And if it does, maybe you grab the plural and you would say, okay, sure, them, I'll get two or three. And in the reverse, if you have that sign of 18, your brain is potentially going to look at that and go 18. That's a lot of Snickers bars. I'm so much better than everyone else. I don't need 18. I'll just get six. And so what happened, if you notice, is that six is, you know, double of the that two or three or even more than that. And it's because this high anchor got set, this number of 18, and your brain is going to adjust down from that number. That's really cool. So give us an example of how someone could use this in their online business. Well, if you've ever noticed at the grocery store, when you go to buy cans of soup or something and they are labeled as 10 for $10, did you know that you buy more than if they're labeled at $1 each? I assure you that I do. 
Guaranteed. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, studies show it's as much as double that people will buy, you know, instead of two or three cans of soup, they're more likely to buy seven if, you know, if you have that 10 for $10. And another example of that is if you put a limit on something and say, so cans of soup are a dollar each limit 12, people will buy more than if there was no limit. And that's sort of the example on the, um, if you were setting something up and that's, Snickers type of example where you might think you want the word them because it's unlimited and people can get as many as they want. They can get a hundred Snickers bars. You can conscious brain logic your way into all sorts of things that go against what the subconscious is going to do. And that's the problem, right? We sit down and we go to plan out a pricing strategy or a product brand naming, whatever it is. And we're using our conscious brains. They don't speak very well to the subconscious. So being able to know that the subconscious brain is going to be very much attracted to an anchor can make a big difference. And so the biggest tip I give people on this for businesses in pricing is where this comes up a lot is that you always want, well, always asterisk, but typically you want to use the highest number first. You may feel like you want to work your way up to a high price, but what you actually want to do, and this ties in with a an additional concept called relativity is you want to have whatever the thing is you're trying to sell, what your main item is. You really want to build that out, that it's the best value. Absolutely. And then you want to make something that is very similar, worse value and more expensive to set a high anchor and put that out first. Putting out a high number can make it to where the thing you're actually trying to promote or sell looks a lot better. So I've had people that have that I've worked with that have then used this anchoring adjustment relativity just to change the structure of the pricing of their products on their website. Uh, one, as an example, was a coach who was having a difficult time selling $5,000 packages that she had, which is a pretty sizable package. Uh, but And she had a couple of other ones. And then she looked and saw, you know, she had enough that if she was to bundle them together, because that was how it could work for hers, you could get a $20,000 package. So if you were to buy all three, you know, you could get a discount to get them for $20,000. So she added that item. And when she did that and put it first, $10,000 packages started flying out the door. And it's all the same products, all the same information, but just that slight shift and putting this big number first, where she was having a hard time selling $5,000 packages, now $10,000 packages look great compared to this $20,000 number. That is so cool. I love examples like that. Okay, we're going to dive into one more topic. And it's, I don't know, maybe something I'm familiar with in just my everyday life. And that is overwhelm. So tell us how that works in your field. So the brain gets overwhelmed super easy and our brains are really lazy, even though they're constantly processing information. But the subconscious is really quick to see something maybe with a lot of words on it and say, nope, and move along uh, and put it in the, I'll think about that later pile. That's the rule of thumb it has for a lot of things. And so putting too much information, too many words in front of people can really negatively impact behavior. So if you have a lot of people that say, oh, I'm going to have to think about that or, you know, I need to talk with my husband or my business partner or whatever it is, it's potentially that their brain is overwhelmed and they can't make a choice. And to show just how easily this can come up, there was a study done with two different groups. One was asked to remember a two-digit number. One group was asked to remember a seven-digit number. And then they had to kind of walk through a series of rooms to then 
repeat the number they were told to remember. On the way, they chose a snack, which was what the actual test was about. The people remembering the two-digit number were more likely to choose the healthy option of fruit salad, and the people remembering the seven-digit number, just five extra digits, were more likely to choose chocolate cake as their snack and it's significantly more and in this case because your conscious brain is bogged down by remembering five extra digits which isn't a lot (laughs) then your subconscious steps up and goes "Mm, chocolate cake (laughs) and you aren't able to shut that down because your conscious is already overwhelmed with this little thing so it can't make a good decision So I think I can probably figure out where you're going with this. But in order for somebody to use this in their online business, is it really just more about kind of culling some of the information that we present and making sure it's we're not saying too much? Yes. And with that is to know that our brains are constantly scanning for visuals and the subconscious. I don't remember if I said this difference at the beginning of the episode. So I'm going to throw it out here now. So if you were to think of your brain as a computer, your subconscious brain can process approximately 11 million bits of information per second, 11 million per second. Your conscious brain can do 40. That's it. (laughs) right? So a huge disparity between the two. And a lot of that information that's coming in is through sight. It's a a visual representation and your brain is constantly able to make connections and associations with visuals in a way that it can't with words and being able to connect things. If you have a really strong, strategic, well-chosen image and then a few words with a one call to action, just one. And I know you want everybody to do everything, right? I would love if people would go to my Facebook and my Twitter and my Instagram and subscribe to the podcast and, 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 right? But you only get one thing. If they're only going to do one thing with this particular piece, what is it? Put all the eggs in the basket and make sure it's a really, really strong image that's supporting either the emotion you want them to feel or whatever it is to help complete the story. That's it. That's so good. Okay. Now, as I mentioned, our audience is primarily made up of influencers. And I wanted to give a couple of examples and see if you can give us any guidance on how behavioral economics might help them improve conversions in these circumstances. So the first one is that many influencers are bringing in a portion of their income through affiliate sales. And they let's say they are writing a blog post and they're featuring an affiliate link talking about that product. How can they best use behavioral economics to help drive more clients to click and then hopefully convert through that content? The first advice I would give is when it comes to affiliate partnerships to make sure, again, as with everything that I advise my clients to do, is to make sure that they're really strategic. And there's a reason that you're partnering with this particular thing to where you actually feel the value and you you're not just doing it for the sake of making money because the subconscious will pick on pick up on that really quickly and it can tarnish everything else and the entire experience of working with you. So I would be really strategic with the partners you have and then make sure that you do explain. I know you have to disclose, but there's a difference between a regulatory disclosure of a little asterisk where it feels like you're covering something up versus, hey, I would be talking about this even if I wasn't getting something back, but we have this reciprocal relationship and I still think it's very valuable to you is a way that somebody feels that authenticity and wants to to do business and believe the thing you're saying, which is important. And then on the advertisement, 
again, asking a really good question. So if you were maybe, I know a lot of people have affiliate relationships with uh, maybe an email provider or, uh, you know, whether it's ActiveCampaign, Infusionsoft, MailChimp, Constant Contact, whatever. Something along that line that, so asking a question, that's a very simple question that you know the person is going to say yes to that shows you understand them and, and literally asking it as a question that gets them in this small Yes. And then they want to click to learn more. So creating this interest and curiosity and then making sure, again, that you're able to speak to it in a way that is authentic and helpful. And it should be something you would want to talk about even if you weren't getting paid back for it. That's such good advice. And I agree because you can tell when it's not authentic and you're just like, why are you doing this? Stop it. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay. Second example. And this one, I think, I hear so much about this. Launch, launch, launch. Um, So many influencers also branch out into offering other online products. So I'm thinking things like eBooks or courses. And they hear a lot, you know, follow this specific launch strategy, paint by numbers, et cetera. And they get nothing but crickets. What concepts do you think that someone should be remembering when they are trying to do those initial launches? As much as we wish it was sort of this field of dreams world of the, you know, you put all the time and effort, you know how valuable it is and people should just buy it and pick up, you know, you build it and they're going to come. It doesn't happen. And remember those 11 million bits of information that people are processing every second and people are exposed to at least 5,000 is a number I've seen, 5,000 different ads or logos or advertisements every single day, images and things. With all of that coming in, you may think that putting it out there and asking once or showing people once, they should either, if they want it, they should pick it up right away and they should know. Unfortunately, you have to talk about it a lot. And even way after the launch, you have to keep talking about the thing and putting it in front of people. And you might find that, you know, weeks or months later, somebody goes, oh, I didn't know you did that. And you say, oh my gosh, I've been putting this in front of you for a year. How do you not know this already? And it's because our brains are busy and they're scanning for a lot of different information and not everything makes it through the filter. So my recommendation is to keep talking about it. When you feel like it's just excruciating and you've said it a million times, you're maybe just getting to the point where you've said it enough to get people interested, unfortunately. Like, do you think Target is sick of the color red? Probably. Seems like a good guess, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And the employees maybe don't love to go home and, and see that color around, but it's important. And for consistency's sake, it has to be out there. So the I think it's now up to 21 times somebody has to be exposed to something to want to make a purchase or, or to actually consider a product or a brand. And so are you getting your message in front of the people you're trying to communicate to 21 times? Probably not. And knowing algorithms aren't pushing properly and all these different things. So you have to be really strategic uh, again, but all the different places you want to be communicating and really choose your messages. And again, you're asking them to do one thing. Perfect. Okay. You have shared so much incredible information. Can you tell our audience a little bit more about how they can work with you directly? Yes, absolutely. So first is if you liked some of the concepts and things I was talking about here, I do have a podcast called The Brainy Business, where I talk about all of this. And there's a whole episode on loss aversion and one on anchoring and adjustment and 
relativity and all these concepts. So you can check that out. Just search for either the Brainy Business or Behavioral Economics, and it should come up as the first recommendation in any app. You can also check me out at, well, that sounds weird. <laughs> you can also find me at thebrainybusiness.com, as Danielle said earlier in the episode. And on all social media, you can pretty much find me as the Brainy Biz, B-I-Z. Perfect. Now, before we wrap up, we always do our rapid fire questions with our guests. Are you game? Of course. Okay. Number one, coffee or tea? Chai tea latte. Number two, what's your favorite book? It can be business or not business. Feel compelled to say Harry Potter, but my actual favorite book that I talk about all the time is called A More Beautiful Question by Warren Berger. I've never heard of it, so I'm going to put that on my list. Next, do it. <laughs> what was the first thing you did to celebrate success in your business? What did you do for yourself? What we set up when I went full time into this is we didn't we were able to set it up so we didn't really need, quote unquote, the income to pay bills. And so what we have done is anytime if there's a big um, a sale or something that goes on, we buy like a piece of furniture for the house, something that we really want, but maybe don't need. So I'm actually looking out at our, our really beautiful live edge wood table, which was something we were able to buy because of the money that I've brought in and same like my desk. So we invest in our home and I'm able to look around and basically see the success uh, that I've been able to bring in all around us, which was the strategy we had with beautiful things that we love in our home. I love it. Do you have a word for the year? If so, what is it? I actually have two. I have visibility and monetize. I love it. Number five, one that can be very controversial with some of our guests, Apple or PC? I currently have a PC. I've been considering switching back to Apple. Now tell everyone where they can find you. <laughs> At uh, thebrainybusiness.com or on social media as The Brainy Biz. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining us. We really appreciate you coming here and sharing all of your amazing knowledge with us. Thanks so much for having me. We want to give a big thank you to Melina for appearing on the show. And I really appreciate her taking the time to banter with me at the beginning and to go into really all of the book nerdiness that is me. Um, so we would love to hear from you in the HQ about what your favorite tips were that she shared on behavioral economics and how it can impact your business. If you're not already a member, you can visit businessease.com slash HQ. If you need the show notes for this episode, visit businessease.com slash episode 64. Thanks so much. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Business Ease Influencer Marketing Podcast. Please subscribe if you haven't already. If you like the podcast, we'd love if you give us a review in Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Your reviews help new listeners find us. If you have any questions, you can email us at questions at businessease.com. We'd really love to hang out with you in our Facebook group, the Business Ease HQ. To join, visit businessease.com slash HQ. We want to give a big thank you to our producer, Don Jackson of the Raven Media Group for making us sound so very good. Thanks for joining us and we'll talk to you again next week. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.